Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. Uh, it's good to be back with you all here this week. Uh, appreciate Pastor Stacy filling in <clears throat> for me last week. I'm still not completely over it. It's that lingering cough that when the bass plays seems to get, uh, I don't know, messed up. So I have a cough this morning, so I apologize for my cough. But I was sick last week, and I appreciate Pastor Stacy filling in. Um, I would just like to uh, say that I hate taking COVID tests. I've taken, uh, I think, about a dozen of them, and every single one has come back negative. Uh, not a fan. Not a fan of that. Um, but I'm good to be back. Good to be healthy-ish again. Um, good to be back with y'all. We are nearing the end of our sermon series called What We Believe. We, these past three weeks, we've been specifically looking at the different persons of the Trinity. We talked about God the Father, and last week, Stacy talked about God the Son, and today we're looking at the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Holy Spirit, I think, in church, and just kind of church in general, church-wide across the country, is one of the most misunderstood persons of the Trinity. I mean, even when you look at our creeds, you look at the Apostles' Creed, it just says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. Nothing else. Uh, the Nicene Creed, which is the really, really long one that I think we say maybe once every other year, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who spoke through the prophets and the scriptures. So that's the Nicene Creed has like this huge long section about who Jesus is, this longish section about God the Father, and then two sentences about the Holy Spirit. And there was this study, there's this book that came out a long time ago. Uh, back when I was a freshman in high school in 2009, uh, that Francis Tran wrote called Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. I never read that book because I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> but I love the title of that because I think that really captures uh, how the church has forgotten about the Holy Spirit, forgotten about the person of the Holy Spirit, and that really captures the heart of the issue that the church faces today. <clears throat> About four years ago, there was a study that came out examining American religion, and it looked at sort of two different uh, aspects. How do Americans in general understand different aspects of Christianity, and then how do self-professing, self-proclaiming evangelicals understand uh, Christianity? And in that study, it said about the, the Holy Spirit, it said about 59% of Americans said the Holy Spirit is not a person, but a force. And you're like, well, that's the Americans. Surely self-proclaiming evangelicals did much better. Uh, spoiler alert, they did not do much better. Uh, self-proclaiming evangelicals, 46% of self-proclaiming evangelicals, so about half, said that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but a force. And so when we tend to think of the Holy Spirit, we tend to think of the power or the gifts or the things that he gives us. We don't think of the Holy Spirit as a person like we do God the Father or God the Son, but in our understanding of Trinity that the Holy Spirit is a person. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, are we more likely to think of the Spirit as a force or as a person that dwells within us as believers of Jesus Christ? 
also a long time ago. This movie came out. It's called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The good one, not the bad one. And if you remember from this movie, <clears throat> in the beginning, it has this song called The Candyman. Do you all remember this song? Um, I'm not going to sing it to you. No one wants me to sing to you all. So I'm going to read it. And in your heads, you can just kind of imagine the song tune. Uh, so the song is this in that movie. Who can take the sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it in chocolate and a miracle or two? The Candyman. The Candyman can because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Who can take a rainbow and wrap it in a sigh, soak it in the sun and make a strawberry lemon pie? The Candyman. The Candyman. The Candyman can. And yet what's interesting in that movie is that these, these children, they love the goodies that Willy Wonka makes. They love the candy that Willy Wonka makes. And yet when you see the five kids who get the golden tickets, they, they love Wonka's chocolate. And then when they go and actually meet the candy man, they're like, I'm not a huge fan of the candy man. This guy's kind of a weirdo. I like the, the stuff that he gives us and the stuff that he makes for us, but I really don't care for the candy man himself. Now, I don't believe the Holy Spirit is a weirdo like Willy Wonka, so the analogy falls a little short, but I think that's oftentimes how we treat the Holy Spirit, is we love the goodies that he gives us. We love the candy that he gives us. We love the gifts that he gives us, but do we really love the candy man? Do we really love the giver of the gifts? Because in our theology and our understanding of the gifts of the Spirit, it fundamentally starts with understanding that the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit is himself. The ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples. But we're going to start off before the Pentecost reading by looking at Acts 1, starting in verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What I love about this passage is Jesus is literally in his resurrected body. He's risen from the dead, he has conquered death, and he's eating with the disciples, and yet they still don't get the point of it. They ask him, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to be the Messiah like we always thought you were going to be? Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore my political empire? Jesus, is now the time that you're going to do these things we've been wanting you to do? All Like, yeah, that risen, rising from the dead stuff, that's all good and great. But now's the time when you're going to build the kingdom of Israel, right? That they had this encounter with the risen Jesus, and they still prioritized building their kingdom in the world rather than prioritizing the kingdom of God. And I think that tends to be our tendency too, that we tend to be like these disciples, that they're, they're supposed to be images of how we tend to live our lives, that we tend to want to build up 
our political empires, build up our earthly empires, build up our own kingdom here on earth and not build the kingdom of God, not work on the things of God. And so Jesus here in the scripture gives us promise that the Holy Spirit will come to these disciples and when he does, they will receive power. Power not apart from the Spirit, power not to build their earthly kingdoms or their earthly empires, but power and equipped to do the work and ministry of Jesus. That the power of the Spirit is intimately connected with the giving of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so we see the disciples don't get it. And then we see in Pentecost, in Acts 2, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit by God. It says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because they, each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So we see here in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit is poured out over the early church, that these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a constant phrase that will be repeated often throughout the book of Acts, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the fundamental truth that we see in the book of Acts, and when we talk and understand the Holy Spirit and the power that the Holy Spirit gives us, we first need to know that the Holy Spirit empowers us with himself. The Holy Spirit empowers us with himself. That the greatest gift that the Holy Spirit gives us is himself. When the Spirit descended on the early church, the Spirit transformed them. I mean, just even a chapter ago, you see the disciples, they're literally eating with Jesus and they still have their priorities in the wrong place. They still don't get it. That encountering a resurrected Jesus was not enough. That we need the Holy Spirit. That's how essential the Spirit is in the Christian life that we see in Acts 1. Risen Jesus is not enough. We need the Holy Spirit. We fundamentally need the Holy Spirit. That it was when the Holy Spirit descended upon the early church that they finally got it. That we see this transformation happen in our lives. The book of Acts, it's called Acts because it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. 
It's how the Spirit moved and worked and empowered these followers of Jesus. And the empowerment that the Spirit brings is a consistent theme that we see throughout the book of Acts. And the transformation that the Spirit makes in ordinary, normal people. That the early church, by the power of the Spirit, became empowered for the ministry of Jesus in the world. I would challenge y'all next time you decide to read through the Gospels and Acts to read the Gospels with the lens of the disciples. Look at how they are, look at how they act, and then read these same characters in the book of Acts. It's almost like you're reading about two completely different people because that's the type of transformation that the Holy Spirit brings. It's because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that they were transformed You see the results of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit immediately in the book of Acts. So the Spirit comes down in Pentecost that we just read, and then Peter gets up, preaches a sermon to the crowd. Uh, Through the power of the Spirit, many, says the thing, it says thousands of people come to know Christ that day and come to believe him. And then after that, they gather together, and then Peter and John are just walking to the temple, living their normal life, and they see someone who's on the ground and he can't walk. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they say to this man, uh, silver and gold I have none, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, this man is able to get up and walk and praise God. And then after, as a result of that, Peter and John are taken captive by the high priest, and they're standing before the high priest, and you see Peter boldly proclaim the message of Christ to the very people who crucified him. And you see this radical transformation in Peter's life where at the end of the Gospels, Peter's afraid to admit that he knows Jesus to the high priest's servant. And then here in the book of Acts, because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Peter says to the high priest himself, you who crucified the Messiah. And that can only happen because the Holy Spirit had done a work in Peter's life. That when the Spirit comes and equips us and empowers us, he doesn't just fill us with a bunch of goodies or he doesn't just give us a bunch of candies and then be like, all right, see ya, you're going out there, toodaloo, bye-bye, I'll stay here. Rather, what we see in the book of Acts and we see the way that the Spirit works and unfolding throughout this book is the Spirit fills the early church, it fills these disciples, and then the Spirit then goes with them. That the same God who calls us to ministry, who calls us to good works, equips us for those very good works, goes with us to do those good works, and then gives us the power to do those good works. It's God initiated. God is the center. And that should be such a relief for us because it's not based on our own power, our own goodness, our own knowledge. It's up to God. There is power in the presence of God with us. Moses recognized this all the way back in Exodus. Moses says this. This is right after the golden calf incident. says this in Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. 
If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. I love that bold statement from Moses because Moses recognized the importance of the presence of God in his life. If you are not going with us, God, don't send us from this place. Do we have that same perspective in our own lives when it comes to the work God has called us to? Are we like Moses and are we saying, Lord, if you've called me to this, if you want me to do this, do not send me away from this place if you will not go with me. Because I need you, Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit. I don't just need your goodies. I need you to go with me because I can't do this without you. again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Are we striving to do the works of God apart from God? Are we trying to live a life apart from the Spirit or live a life deeply formed by the Spirit? In Galatians, I love this uh, verse from Galatians where Paul says uh, to the uh, church in Galatia, uh, you were saved by grace and now that you've been saved by grace, you're now trying to live the rest of your life uh, apart from the Spirit. You're trying to do it all yourself. And Paul's rebuke to them is like, live your life according to the grace and the Spirit of God. Are we following God's leading in our lives or are we still trying to determine our own path and trying to do what we think is best? Do we ask the Lord to empower us for the task ahead or do we just charge headlong and without the Lord with us? Do we pray for guidance and direction in our lives or do we think of the Lord as an afterthought in our lives? You know, right in the beginning of my ministry, uh, Erica was praying, we were praying together and I was, remember, I was really nervous about having to preach each week because uh, that was new for me. And I remember Erica said that the Lord told her that I need to not worry about writing sermons. And she said that I need to write sermons not for God, but with God. And that's a key difference because if I'm writing sermons for God, if I'm doing things for God, I'm trying to earn his favor. I'm relying on myself and my own knowledge and my own strength. But if I'm doing it with God, I'm doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Empowered by God, empowered for the work that he has equipped me. That's with him. It's in partnership with him that he invites us to live our lives and do ministry alongside of him, not apart from him. I mentioned earlier the Nicene Creed, which says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. When we ask for the person of the Holy Spirit, do we see the Spirit as the one who gives us life? 
Do we see him as the one who gives us life? That when we're asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us like he did the early church, that we're asking for life itself. That life in the Spirit is about making kingdom priorities our priorities. Not what we determine to be best or what the world determines to be best. Do we want this promise from Jesus that he promises to give us? That he eagerly desires to give us the Spirit and that the Spirit will empower us or are we content of trudging along our own? Do we want more of the Spirit like we read here in Acts? Do we eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit as Paul writes about? Or are we perfectly content with settling where we're at? You may have heard of this uh, thing in American history. It's called the Jeffersonian Bible. Um, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers, was a deist. Uh, Deism is this idea that God is like a clockmaker. So he sets a clock, sets the universe in motion, and then says, all right, peace out. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. And so deism, in their worldview, has no room for miracles. And so what the Jeffersonian Bible is, I think I have a picture up up on the screen Thomas Jefferson, he went through the Gospels and Acts and he took a razor blade and he cut out all references to the miraculous because it couldn't fit within his worldview. And so he literally cut and pasted the miraculous parts of Scripture out and watered Jesus down to a good moral teacher. In fact, I think it it wasn't called the Jeffersonian Bible. He called it uh, the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. That for him, what was most important about Jesus was the good lessons that he taught us, not that he was the Son of God and did wonders in our midst. And while we may not literally take a razor blade and cut out the supernatural parts of Scripture, do we live our faith as if we had? Do we water down what the Spirit wants to do in our midst? Because we read what happens in the book of Acts and we read what happens in the gospel and then we look around at our everyday lives and we say, well, that's not happening in our midst. Therefore, it must not happen at all. Or rather, do we read and trust the pages of Scripture and see it as an opportunity for us to invite the Spirit to come and do it again in our midst? Because why not us? Like, why not here? When you look at all the revivals in the history of the church, it started off with normal, everyday people praying for the Spirit of God to move in their midst. That the history of revivals starts off with nobodies, normal, nameless faces. And then a powerful movement of the Spirit overcomes them. The Jesus movement, the early church that we see, was made up of fishermen, political zealots, corroborators with the empire, blue-collar workers, unlearned men and women... And because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it started a movement and a religion and a faith that utterly transformed the world. Because that's what the Spirit of God can do in the lives of people. This is what Peter says about the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. This is his Pentecost sermon. He starts off by saying this. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd 
fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, that this promise, that this scripture that's fulfilled on the day of Pentecost is not just for the early church, but it is for us today. Because nowhere in the pages of scripture does it say that the Spirit has decided to stop moving like that. We've just stopped asking the Spirit to move like that. Are we asking for the Spirit to fill us up like the early church? Because we have the Spirit of God. Scripture says if you confess and believe with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you have the Spirit of God, but we constantly need to be filled with the Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, like I said, this repetition of being filled with the Spirit, we see even just a few chapters afterwards, that in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, uh, Peter and the disciples who literally were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost had to be filled again. And uh, my seminary professor... And reflecting on it, he said, I think we always need to be filled with the Spirit uh, because we leak. (laughs) We're leaky vessels. And we always need to ask for the Lord, Lord, fill me up again. Lord, fill me up again. I invite the band to come back up. Friends, do we desire, do we desire this? Do we desire for the Spirit to move powerfully in our midst like we see on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, are we asking for the Lord to fill us? I want to end with this quote by John Wesley. He says this, Many of the difficulties of our early ministry, my brother Charles often said, If the Lord would give me wings, I would fly. And I used to answer, If God bids me to fly, I will trust him for the wings. Friends, God's desire is to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We see that promise reiterated over and over and over again. And do we trust that when Jesus says, you will do greater things than I because of the Holy Spirit, do we trust that God will empower us? And when God asks us to do something crazy like fly, do we trust that when God asks us to do seemingly impossible things like pray for sick people and watch them get healed, to prophesy over people, to pray for people and watch transformation happen, to, as the scripture says, to say to this mountain, jump, and watch it jump. Do we believe that when God asks us impossible things that he's doing us just to make us look silly? Because he will empower us by the power of the Spirit to do so. We did this in the earlier service, and I think we got time. I'm going to claim we got time. Uh, So we're just going to have space now for the Holy Spirit to come in our lives. And so these are some some of the response questions. Just asking yourself and being honest. Do you desire to have more of the Holy Spirit, or are you content with what you have right now? And just be honest with God. And if you want more, just say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
Then we're just going to have some open prayer time, and then I'll close with the communion liturgy. We're just going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come, and I'll just be listening and seeing what the Spirit says. So Lord, come Holy Spirit. Come among us. Come and do a new thing. Pour out your Spirit on your sons and daughters like you promised in the prophet Joel, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, and fulfilled again and again and again, many generations over. Come Holy Spirit. feel like there's someone here who, uh, who there's gifts of the Spirit that you've been desiring. I feel like the Spirit wants you to ask Him for those gifts. I heard this a little while ago um, in worship. Uh, there's someone in here, maybe multiple people that have self-hate, that they hate themselves. Um, if that's you, I think the Lord just wants you to confess that to him and then ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit in that place that the scripture says that the Spirit pours out the love of Christ into our hearts. So just confess that hatred to the Lord and then ask him to fill you with his love instead. I feel specifically like there's someone wanting the gift of prophecy. If that's you, I'll just go ahead and ask the Spirit for it. Um, I feel like there's someone in here that thinks that this is really stupid. Um, if that's you, I think <clears throat> just ask the Spirit to show you that it's not. To just say, Lord, change my mind. Lord, show me that you're real. Lord, show me that you desire to do this. I feel like there's also someone in here that needs, uh, needs hope. It's almost like you've been beaten down. And that the thought of, of God doing a new thing in your life doesn't seem real, doesn't seem like it'll actually happen. So if that's you, just ask for a pouring of the Holy Spirit of fresh hope into your life. like there's someone <clears throat> someone in here that's been praying a prayer for a long time and it hasn't been answered yet and you're feeling kind of at the end of your rope exacer exacerbated is that how you say it um, that you've been praying this and it seems like no answer is coming I feel like the Lord is just telling you to just keep on praying just persevere just persevere and trust him Uh, ooh. 
Um, there's someone in here that's been praying for their child for a long time. And you don't think God's ever going to answer that prayer? That you constantly worry about your child and you've been praying for them and praying for them and it seems like nothing's happening. I feel like the Lord just wants to assure you that you can trust, I think it's a her, you can trust her with the Lord and that the Lord will be faithful to her. So Lord, come Holy Spirit, come and fill us up, come and do a new thing, come and just fill us with your very presence. For Lord, we love you and we're so grateful for all the good that you do in our lives. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was having dinner with his friends and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you whenever you eat of it. Do it in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. Lord, we ask for fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh outpouring of your Spirit because you're too good not to. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit to proclaim your goodness to the world. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until you come, Jesus, in final victory and we feast at your heavenly banquet as we say the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, if you're still meeting with the Holy Spirit, still meeting with the Lord, you can stay in that place. You can come up to the altar. Uh, This doesn't have to end with the service. Uh, But would you come and receive a means of grace? Come and receive the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have two stations in the front, two stations, two stations in the front, two in the back, and we have gluten-free elements at both stations you simply need to ask. So friends, come and taste and see that the Lord is good.